0: Hi, I'm Stuart Spinks and welcome to episode 290 of my podcast, Beekeeping Short and Sweet. This week is the turn of Paul Beardmore from Modern Beekeeping to join me and have a chat about his beekeeping and his business here on my weekly podcast. short and sweet a beekeeping podcast for the inquisitive beekeeper with a short attention span a beekeeper in fact just like me today's podcast is sponsored in part by healthy bees heavy hives a new book on beekeeping today with a focus on helping you maximize your yields and hopefully increasing profitability in beekeeping featuring clear diagrams and beautiful photographs that complement a relaxed and humorous writing style which is both enjoyable and informative to read. Available now at Northern Bee Books, Amazon and all good bookstores both online and in your high street. You'll find links in today's podcast notes. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. We've got Paul Beardmore from Modern Beekeeping with us today. I've known Paul for a while now. We've shared quite a lot of beekeeping stories together, and it's time to delve deep into Paul's past and find out about his beekeeping and, of course, the company that he runs, which is Modern Beekeeping. So we'll come on to that in a minute. Morning, Paul. How are you? Good morning. Very good. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Good. Thanks for joining us. Uh, No trouble. It's good to, well, actually good to see you because we're recording this on a a Zoom meeting, but obviously on the podcast, it'll just be audio, which is why I haven't brushed my hair this morning. Let's get into, uh, into some of these questions. In terms of your beekeeping, how did you first get started with beekeeping and how long have you been doing it and all of that kind of stuff?
1: Gosh, I suppose entirely by accident, you know, so I I used to enjoy a local photography group. So it was a good excuse to go for a walk, trip to the pub afterwards, meet some friends, bit of a chat, things like that. And and while doing that, you know, we were discussing what we'd seen on the trip and bees and nature and stuff like that. And, you know, I would sort of expressed an interest that, well, you know, something that I would have liked to have done. And another couple that were on this particular photo walk with us had been beekeepers in the past, but, you know, through life commitments and stuff like that, and the advent of Varroa, they'd really sort of put their beekeeping on a hold and they would got no colonies left, but okay. they did have some equipment. There was a, a bit of a discussion that said, you know, if you wanted to learn, we would help you learn, we would teach you. Right. Um, and just over a week later, Malcolm rings me and says, right, Paul, we've had a swarm land in a hive in the garden. If you would like to learn, now's the ideal opportunity. You need to go and buy yourself a beekeeping suit and we'll teach you. So I did. I bought a bee suit. I went and stood in front of this hive and I was amazed. I've never seen anything quite like it in my life. And I'm still amazed to this day. So it really went on from there. So later on that year, I bought myself a nucleus. They lent me a hive and it just seemed to expand from there. How long ago would that have been? That was 15 years for well, coming up 16 years ago right. now. Right. Yeah, and 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 I've always won for turning a hobby into a business. You know, I mentioned photography, so that was a bit of a hobby, but I also did things like christenings and weddings and okay. bits and bobs like that. You yeah, know, so. and um, quite quite <laughs> quite good at that. And uh, I did exactly the same with beekeeping, really, but right. just just went a little bit further with it. And I suppose really, it just yeah just just got out of hand. So, uh, yeah, and that
0: sounds exactly like kind of most beekeepers' roots into commercial beekeeping. It yeah. kept up and, and you go from one colony to four or five to 20 to 50. How how did you progress through the numbers? Well, pretty
1: much exactly like that, you know. Oh. Um, you know, sort of first year with a the nuke, the, the, the nuke wants to swarm as it grows, so you split it. But instead of splitting, you know, um, Malcolm and Janet had been sort of done this sort of semi-commercially as well that they they'd run up to you know 50 60 colonies something like that Uh, they moved their colonies to rape to heather to you know spring uh, to summer crops where they could so i I sort of followed this sort of route you know so instead of splitting this colony once when it wanted to swarm we we split it twice and give ourselves the best chance of queen's mating and not losing everything. So anyway, so it turns out every, everything's successful and we end up with three and they produce a little bit of honey by the end of the year. And I'm like, you know, what what do I do with all this honey? So I go down, go down to the local delicatessen, the local butchers, and I'm like, we've got some honey spare. Would you like to buy it? And they're all like, yeah, all right. Yeah, we'll buy it. So a few weeks go by and they ring up and it's like, have you got any more? And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so the butcher says to me, you'll have to get some more beehives. So, um, well, I did. Right. <laughs> you know, the following year, we, um, you know, bought a few more hives and split colonies and learnt a little bit more about it and where it would go. And it was just really that sort of more addictive nature of the hobby that, you know, you've got, oh, you've got more, you've got all these beehives, there's always something to do, there's always something to look at, this is interesting, yeah. you know, it's such a big subject, beekeeping, and it can go on and on and on. It allowed for that sort of growth and that addictive nature of it, you know. And
0: not content with being busy with the bees, you've then moved into a different area of beekeeping, which is selling equipment for two and four beekeepers. So yeah, you kind of stepped out of the honey production a little bit and
1: moved into selling equipment. So how did that come about? Again, like the beekeeping, pretty much by accident. You know, you so you made a decision. This is you know the beekeeping is more of a commercial activity that you want to pursue. Yeah. So you go, you know, looking at, you know, right, I want to go down this route, you know, I I'd bought a polyhive and I wanted to, wanted more polyhives and we chose Langstroth because it seemed to make a lot of sense. You know, a Langstroth polyhive was about the only polyhive on the market in the UK when I first started this. So, you know, I'd made that decision and I thought, well, how do we make this easier? How do we make it cheaper? And I thought, well, you need to buy in bulk direct from a manufacturer. Yeah. So That's what I did. And then when I got the quote through and the equipment arrived at my doorstep, I was like, these seem like there's a a nice little margin in these that, you know, I could sell some on as well. So we did. I I bought much more than I ever needed. And within a couple of weeks, I'd gone from buying this stuff to having a stall at a trade show. So we started to sell the equipment through our Happy Valley Honey website, you know, along with our honey and stuff like that. And um, I spoke to uh, Modern Beekeeping in the past and Bob, who um, owned it. And uh, basically, he was he was looking to sort of downsize his operations, retire a little bit. He, he owned Pick and Pack Warehouse, basically, with multiple small businesses in it. And he owned some of those small businesses, and he wanted to get rid of some of them, basically. Right. Uh, and modern beekeeping was one. I inquired. We agreed a price on the equipment and um, some goodwill for the business, and here I am. So how would you kind of separate your business now? So you've got your
0: equipment side. You've got your honey production side, yep. which is Happy Valley Honey. That's yep. your, your honey business. What about
1: bees and queens do you do you dabble do you sell um I don't really, i mean we did sell queens at one point maybe I you know look at the volume sold now maybe maybe I should have kept at it but um you know so we we used to do like maybe a thousand queens a year sell wow. something yeah. like that okay. um but it really did get like quite a quite a big job to handle with the honey production with the kit sales and everything like that so Really, it was one of those things that had to sort of give and that sort of seemed to be one that took up quite a bit of time. So we put that to one side. Uh, We still do a few nukes each year. We work with other beekeepers to sell nukes at times. If if the demand that I have outstrips my supply, then, you know, I've got other, you know, bee farmers that we know and work with that will help to supply them, you know.
0: Yeah, so it's honey production and equipment sales is kind of
1: your core business. That 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 is it. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Honey production, honey sales, and equipment sales. Yeah, I would say you do this all yourself, or you have you got a team of people that help you? Yes, there is. Well, so it's it's me, my wife Claire, as part of it. We have uh, Sally who has been with us what three years now, I think. Four years. She's telling me so. Sally's in the background here. Right, so yeah, she's been with us four years, and there's um a few other people that we've had on and off and um, so our other current employee is Pete, okay, so Pete people do all the painting and you know he does a lot of the picking and packing, assembling and and stuff like that, you know,
0: yeah, sure, and uh, currently, how many colonies are you running uh
1: who knows it's wintershoet <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, What would you like to say? Well, I would like to say somewhere there'll be between 120 to 140, something like that. I, just on
0: the subject of overwintering colonies, uh, very much like you, I'm kind of guessing at this point in the year as to how many colonies I've got. But actually, yeah. we, because of the bronchitis I've had recently, we we were delayed in getting out and checking colonies. And I've been quite surprised, pleasantly surprised at how many colonies so far, touch wood, seem to be coming through quite strongly. So you, you might be pleasantly surprised when you finally get out and have a, have a look. Yeah. I, I,
1: certainly the same. I, I, I um, had a, a quick peek at some the other day that had got a, a lid that was, you know, slightly displaced and yeah. I thought, well, I'll just, you know, it's it's already moved with the wind. Let's just just go a little bit further and have a peek under and, and, well, I was quite shocked at the size of the, the cluster on a few yeah. of them. Yeah. You know, yeah. and there's, there's the usual typical ones where you're like, mm, yeah, there's like a, a cup full of bees there, something's gone wrong. Sure. But, you know, yeah, you know, there's like a pretty decent cluster <laughs> yeah. on a, few. Yeah.
0: Well, a good view. Obviously, your, with your modern beekeeping business, that must take up quite a lot of time. And, and I, personally, with the videos and the podcast and everything that I do, I find... Honey production from a hundred plus colonies is also quite a you know tough tough ask really. There's a lot of work involved in terms of honey production. What kind of levels of honey production are you getting?
1: So last year we managed. I think it was just shy of four tons in total. Yeah, well, which, is, which is which is which is pretty good. But you so know, I've, I've got to be honest. I've got to say that you are partly responsible for the, the uh reason behind the uh, larger crop, and that is the uh, opportunity to take bees down to places like borage and stuff like oh. that. You know, it, it, it does yield quite well and does allow for that larger crop, I think.
0: And and I think well, certainly the last couple of seasons we've had drought conditions and then very wet conditions, yet the borage has seemed to deliver in both of those situations. <laughs> I think it's I wouldn't say it's a guaranteed crop, but it's as, as near as you can get to a guaranteed
1: crop, I think. I think, yeah, it does give you the uh, the ability to, you, you have some trust in it anyway. Yeah. Uh, yeah that's um, a good way of putting you it. You know, um, that, you know, uh, even if you got a super of honey, you would, you know, yeah. <laughs> you would still be happy off that. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Going back to modern beekeeping and looking at the website, and I'm sure people will go off
1: and have a look at the website.
0: You've got polyhives. And wooden hives available to people.
1: Yeah, so we do poly hives. Um, you know, uh, the the poly hives are, you know, we're the sole importer of most of our equipment that we sell. Yeah. Um, you know, like the paradise poly hives, um, the honeypore hives. We do cedar hives as well. They're produced in the UK. So you you know, but it's a case of you know somebody may want a quite an array of equipment, and you've gotta try and provide that at times, you know, and. And of course the local beekeeping market people will call in as well you know if you're sure. local to us call in have a chat yep. you know have a look see what you want it's um it's quite good yeah
0: yeah uh, I, and I have to say uh, it was um your fault that I ended up really <laughs> converting to Langstroth hives and predominantly the honey hive I think they're an absolutely fantastic product
1: good yeah yeah, they 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 do the, the polyhives in general. You know, no matter which direction you take, they are a really good product. They, I, I, I feel they've been instrumental in allowing us to run more colonies easier and produce more honey. Yeah, how so? This last week, I, I actually gave a talk to a, a
0: beekeeping association, and we had a, a very short conversation about the environmental impact of mm-hmm. polyhives compared to wooden hives, and I think that. That kind of weighs quite heavily on the conscience of a lot of people thinking that somehow polyhives are far more damaging to the environment than bull yeah. hives.
1: Have you got any views on that? Uh, I mean, you know, they're, they're, they're sort of my views, and, you know, I've. I've also researched into this somewhat about the recyclability of a polyhive and, you know, what what could its potential end life be and all the rest of it and how long it's going to last. But essentially, that you know, my polyhives that I've had for, what, 15, maybe 16 years now, I can't tell the difference between that very first one I bought that I've still got and the newer stuff that I've added to it. They still work. They're still in fairly good condition, yeah, okay, it's polystyrene. We're commercial beekeepers. We travel up and down the country, and it, it does get some damage and some knocked about, and, you know, it, it's not, you know, it's it's a working item and a working tool for me. Yeah. But what it does say is that they're strong, sturdy. They last well. You know, they're going to last. I mean, I've already done 15 with them. I can't see any reason why they won't do another 15 or even more, you know. Um, no, Absolutely. Uh, no, um, I
0: agree. I'd, I've had, obviously, the, the poor hives from you. We've also used some commercial polyhives from John at Maysmore. And the only time I've ever had a serious problem is when I forgot that i had left a, a dead colony in an apiary, blocked up, yeah. and all closed up so they couldn't be robbed. But the wax moth got into them. This is one yeah. of the commercial polyhives. And once the wax moth chews into the polystyrene material, there's no way back, really. Certainly not when it's as devastating as a full hive full of wax moth. But they'll chew into the wood as much as they will. Absolutely. So yeah. I don't think there's any real difference. It's just the disposal at that time that then becomes a problem. But, uh, you know, we've, we're we now running most, in fact, all of our colonies now are, poly hives of one form or another and we've been doing that not as long as you but for some years now and we've only lost the one hive to wax moth and that's down to dare I say beekeeper incompetence I should have sorted it out before it became an issue so uh, from an environmental impact perspective uh, you know I think the next 10 to 15 years we'll find more people recycling the poly material because it is recyclable uh, and then you know i I think we'll be able to dispose of it more competently shall we say than yeah, having yeah. to um, put it into a landfill but like you i i think these polyhives will will outsee me to be honest i, I think That's, i would think mine would do as well definitely you just have, you just have to take care of them like you would yeah. any colony uh any yeah. other hive, really yeah on that subject of of hive types have you got a favorite you, you're obviously using langstroth now yeah
1: i really prefer the langstroth it, it's i prefer the frames the frames are just that little bit bigger the brood area is that bit bigger i prefer the medium supers because they hold a fair bit more honey than say a national super so i need less and let's be honest the 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 price of the box is roughly equivalent yeah. to a national so i need less kit for the same amount of honey yeah um, so it's it's cheaper to do yeah and 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 honestly i hate those long lugs on a national i can't understand why they're there yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh well as,
0: as, as a langstroth convert obviously I, I'm in full agreement with you, but isn't it just beekeeping generally that there are so many options to be able to do this hobby for most people? Absolutely. That, that you can choose whichever way you want to go and it's not a wrong way or a right way, it's mm-hmm. just the way you choose.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I completely agree. It, it's It's about finding what works for you and what you like. You know, I mean, if you do any job or any hobby or anything, it's got to be enjoyable and and Gordon, you know, to to get that, it's got to be easy and feel right, and and actually, that's the important bit. It, the, the hive type has actually very little bearing on on anything. The bees will live in almost anything if you want to keep them in it. So work with something that you like, you know, and that's 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 really the important part.
0: Yeah, exactly. And um, just bringing you back to overwintering colonies and the like uh, in the past. You will be very aware that I've used the various syrups and fondants and pollen substitutes that that you sell, and they're all available on the website, and i'll I'll put links for everybody in the podcast notes to take you over to Paul's website to have a look at them. But in terms of selling feed, be it syrup or fondant or the pollen substitute, can you just describe for the we have a lot of beginner beekeepers that listen to the podcast, so, for those beekeepers who haven't really been through a, a winter, what kind of syrups and fondants do you sell and when should they use them?
1: So, we sell invert sugar syrups. Um, so, the invert sugar syrup has the name of Appy Mix. It contains vitamins and amino acids. So, it's a little bit more like a, a honey rather than a, a syrup. You know, it's, it contains that little bit extra that you wouldn't get in a Pure syrup, but not so much that it's likely to affect the bees overwintering on it and that it's going to cause them to need to go on cleansing flights through the winter and, and stuff like that. That's, that, that's obviously the important bit. We also sell uh, fondant. So we do a, a basic sort of what I would, it's not a, a plain fondant, but, but a fondant. And um, we do a fondant with vitamins and amino acids. And finally, we do a pollen substitute essentially, which is like a fondant with vitamins amino acids it's got uh, trace minerals in there and fats as well that the bees need so it's a complete food each of them has their place in the season yeah um we would tend to feed syrup going up to winter put some weight on make them nice and heavy you know take all the nutrition through the the winter period in the hive with them you know you've not got to add anything the bees have not really got to to move and break cluster to start going feed on fondants and stuff like that. Right. But, you know, every, every year is different. So you sure. might need to feed fondant. So we would generally feed fondant from, well, when the bees won't really want to, to, to take down syrup, just to remove that last little bit of moisture. So, you know, you can feed that through November, December, January, February, something like that. Yeah. Towards the end of February, we would generally use a pollen substitute, you know, just to promote that sort of brood rearing, make sure that those colonies don't become deficient in, essential amino acids you know they've got, some days they will have a good supply of pollen and some days they won't and but even that pollen that they get might not be diverse enough for them to get a full complete food profile so that's when the pollen patties come in
0: and so the, those pollen substitute and and i have to say i've used them and they're very effective and the bees do take them down really well and i find that it helps with building up colonies for that early oilseed rape crop that we we go in search of and in terms of using that pollen substitute we're looking to use that just prior to the kind of bulk of the spring flowering plants like willow uh, that kind of thing coming into flower when the bees might want to grow and develop but haven't got the natural pollens available to them is that fair to say yeah
1: yeah i would say you you would use it just prior to that yeah. Um, but but the, the thing with feeding pollen substitute is is they the bees will need to fly they will need to defecate you know right. they need those cleansing flights so don't feed it if that isn't an option feed fondant if they need food but not pollen substitutes okay um, but yeah I would use it before the willow and I would leave it on there during that time as well you know because we've got you know I mean it's, it's typical you you get all excited the willow comes into bloom yes there's lots of pollen let's go for it this spring is here this it's exciting yep. uh, and then um and then it goes and rains doesn't it leaving the bees having made this decision to grow this colony and lay lots of eggs and then to find out that all of a sudden their pollen supply is getting a little bit short so i would tend to leave them with a a supply of pollen substitute throughout that period yeah just to prevent those you know peaks and troughs troughs of um you know pollen coming in and that that nutrition that they need
0: and and we uh, came up against that a few years ago with what they called the beast from the east. Yes. Um, we we had a, a period where it looked like winter was over and then all of a sudden we were hit by this very cold spell uh, and the bees couldn't get out, but had started to grow. So it was important that we continued to feed them. And I think yeah. that's an important point for beginners as well, isn't it? That if they start to feed any fondant or pollen substitute it needs to be maintained until the bees can get out really absolutely yeah definitely definitely and of course a lot of colonies won't need feeding at all so depending on what you're trying to achieve you might not need to give them any fondant or pollen substitute so it it's again one of those variables (laughs) But there's no hard and fast rule is there
1: no it's it's such a difficult call what to do sometimes it really is you know and um it's not like you can i don't know you can't create a formula for this but you will look at the weather you'll see where the bees are at you know what what you know do they need some food are they brood rearing you know and and try and make it def- an an informed decision based on all of these variables and but once you do decide it usually you should stick with it really you know oh, absolutely and while we're
0: talking beginner beekeepers in terms of beginner beekeepers buying a, a hive for the first time is there any factor that they should consider in the type of hive that they buy when i started i started on nationals because the guy that was teaching me used nationals and that kind of
1: seems to be the way most people go. Yeah, I agree. That that does seem to be the way people go. And that's the way I started. You know, I started with a, a Cedar National and sort of went from there. But it, my, my thoughts on it were were slightly different because I, I had this idea that I wanted to produce honey and I'd, I'd been online and I'd looked at it. Um, I'd been to my local beekeeping meeting and met a commercial beekeeper and listened to his talk. And I was like, Wow. So i had done a little bit of research on that. So, you know, things to consider, you might not really know where you want to go. Essentially, I would say if you're going to make a choice, choose a system that, and stick with it. It it yep. make life so much simple. There's no there's nothing worse than having mixed kit and lots of it, yep. you know, from different manufacturers. It's just a big headache. Um essentially, so that's a really really important thing to consider. You know, and consider something that's going to last and work and Yep. Continue to work again. I think I've fallen foul of this. You know, I wanted to expand and wanted a few more boxes, a few more hives. Oh, you know, I'll buy this or I'll, I'll make sure, so, you know, I think at the time when I was doing it, there was a lot of uh, plywood hives. Yeah. And it was a case of like, Oh, these are really cheap, but gosh, what a nightmare they were, you know, so do a little bit of thinking, reading, looking and consider yourself, consider. Yep. How fit and healthy you are. How heavy this is going to be to lift, cool. and all sorts of things like that. You know, it is difficult. And
0: then take yourself off to the Modern Beekeeping website and buy yourself some poly Langstroth
1: hives. That would be my advice. Absolutely. That that either Langstroth or um, or National. Both are, both are very good. Both made to the same standard. And yeah. both available on
0: the Modern Beekeeping website. Yes. So before we finally finish. And just while Paul is chasing after his cat in the office, um, I'm I'm going to throw (laughs) one final question at him. And we're hopefully approaching the end of the winter months that we have. So what top tip would you give beginner beekeepers, well, any beekeeper really, for a successful start to the season? I think we kind of touched on it a little bit with the feeding of pollen Uh, sub. But what would you suggest people do to really have a fast start and a,
1: a successful season? I think feeding is is one of those things that's really important at the beginning of the year. You know, if your colony is going to struggle to find feed, to find pollen, you know, depending on the weather, obviously, it's one of those things that's going to either make or break here. You know, don't let them starve. Don't let them struggle. Don't let them be in that sort of position where they're, they're surviving but not thriving. You know, that, that's I think that's the big difference in it. And I also think, just adding to that, when
0: colonies come through the winter, if they're on the slightly smaller size, then if you do nothing, you can end up trying to recover that colony all the way through the season and not have a particularly successful stress-free season. Whereas if you can get some pollen sub or even some fresh pollen into them early and build them up, help them grow then it gives you so much more choice as you go
1: through the season. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, you know, if like you say, if you do nothing, that this colony will just it will survive. And it it might get there by the end of the season, but it, it that is all it will ever achieve. Yeah. Whereas, you know, if they haven't got that foraging force, just bring the food supply closer and make it easier. So you don't have to have the same amount of bees out flying that are essentially probably going to get caught in the spring buy some cold snaps they're going to die on the wing make life make life easy for them sure that makes a big difference in i must admit though if you, you those small colonies sometimes sometimes they are depending on their size not worth the trouble or you know give them a, a, another helping hand don't don't just give them give them food as well but also switch positions with hives and right. give them grains of brood and things like that that, that that's and of massive, course if you've got that available to you this is
0: one of the one of the things to to kind of say for beginner beekeepers is that if you have a couple of colonies and you're you're overwintering maybe two or three colonies and one of them is very small it's very often the best policy to unite them with another colony Mm. at the beginning of the season because then you can split them later in the spring and have two stronger colonies than just trying to
1: nurse through a very small colony. I completely agree. Yeah, absolutely. It is, it is far easier to have one bigger, stronger colony. That's going to build faster that you can then split later. And, you know, as I think, you know, as I mentioned right at the very beginning of this, you know, instead of splitting once, split multiple times, give yourself choice and give yourself, you know, that ability to um, have, you know, you've got more resources to pull from then, haven't you?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. So before we go, Paul has very kindly offered up a little prize to anyone that can answer a very simple question that will be available on his website, modern Beekeeping. All you have to do is to go over and have a look at his website. The link will be in the podcast notes, as it was last week. Answer this very simple question. So we were talking about fondant and syrup and pollen substitute. On Paul's website, uh, there is a page that shows the pollen substitute, and it's available in two sizes. And the question, the very simple question, is what are the two sizes that, that pollen substitute is available in and if people come to your website paul they'll be able to answer that simple question tick a box perhaps or just type it in and we'll set a finish date when the competition will close and paul will pull out a name from the hat and some lucky beekeeper will win a a very nice prize from you. Yeah, no trouble. Yeah. Is that okay? That's fine. Paul, thanks for joining me today and chatting about your beekeeping and the business. I hope you have a very successful year. You're going to be at the beekeeping show?
1: We will be at the beekeeping show, definitely, yes.
0: So thank you for for joining me. Uh, Don't forget, everybody, to log into Paul's website, have a look at the question, and uh, uh, give him a very simple answer. And you should be in with a chance of winning a very nice prize. Thanks again, Paul. And we'll, No no doubt, catch up soon. Thank you very much, Stuart. Don't forget to check out Paul's website, which is www modernbeekeeping.co.uk and also don't forget to check out my website www.norfolk-honey.co.uk and for my latest videos and podcasts with more updates tips and techniques it's the same patreon page www.patreon.com forward slash norfolk honey and remember i'm Stuart Spinks and that was beekeeping short and sweet